in life, if I'm X and every person I have a relationship with is Y1, Y2, Y3, Y4, if I can solve for X, I can understand Y so much better. I get so jealous sometimes of SJs and STJs because they're so good at getting things done. They just do the thing and I don't operate in that same exact way. Those people are just who they are. Every other person is just as much who they are as I am who I am. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. You are listening to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women rise. And I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And I am so excited to bring you part two of my conversation with Caitlin. I did a two-parter with her because she had so much fun knowledge to share with me and we had so much to talk about. Last week, we talked about how finding your strengths can really help you out professionally. And she is someone who is deeply experienced in the Gallup Strengths Finder, which is a tool that many individuals and companies use to help identify their strengths. And today, we are pivoting to something that I am obsessed with. You'll probably be able to tell by this conversation that I'm obsessed with this. I've been obsessed with it for a very long time, but it is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. You will hear her talk about what it is, but it's essentially a test that you take online and it gives you a type, which is a four letter combination. And there are 16 possible types because there are two options for each of the four letters resulting in 16 potential combinations. And your type really determines how you operate in the world. And of course, we spend a lot of times in the world in our jobs. So it is quite fascinating for me to learn about and talk about and think about how our Myers-Briggs type and preferences impact our experiences at work and how they impact the things that we enjoy and the things that light us up and also how they impact the things that are frustrating and then bring friction and struggle into our professional experiences. I would suggest taking the test online. You can find it. And unlike Gallup, it's free. So you have to pay to take the Gallup Strengths Finder. But for today's episode on Myers-Briggs, you can take a Myers-Briggs test online for free. You can either listen to this episode and try to figure out what you are by hearing Caitlin talk about it, which could be really Really, really fun if you don't know your type and then you could go take the test or you could take the test and then hear her talk about your type. I honestly think that both would be really, really fun because oftentimes when people hear the descriptions, they go, oh, oh, that's me. So if you go into this episode not knowing your type, it could be actually really fun. So whichever feels best for you, but you should be able to find it online. And I'll put a couple of links in the show notes to take the test. And with that, let's get into today's conversation with Caitlin. And I hope you enjoy. So What is Myers-Briggs for someone who hasn't heard of it before? Ah, so it is a personality assessment. Um, It's based on Jung's personality theory, which I won't get into, but it is a way of 
looking at the ways that we interact with the world and ourselves, um, how we orient ourselves to, to things outside of us and within us. So there are these dichotomies that we look at. There are four dichotomies. And depending on what your combination of your preferences for these things is, there's one of 16 personality types that you'd get as a result. And I would say all of these things, we all have the capacity to do all of these things. Um, the way that I describe it is that it's sort of like handedness where we have, most of us have a dominant hand that we use. And you know, maybe at some point in your life, you've had a, a broken bone or something and you had to adjust and use the other and you can get really good at it. If you're, if you're being forced to use it all the time, or you consciously want to, to get better at using your non-dominant hand, you can. But most of us would probably admit that no matter how much we use the non-dominant one, nothing feels as natural or flowing as using the one that we have the, that preference for. So that's sort of how, um, what I'll say. So as we're listening to all these things, it's, it's uh, as I describe the differences, we can often see ourselves in both because to a certain extent we all do both, but it's more about which one you have a natural preference for. So that being said, um, so the first dichotomy is, that represents your first letter of your four letter personality code is introversion and extroversion. So introversion and extroversion, for a long time, I always say, let me be very clear that it's not what we might have always thought like, oh, introversion means shy and extroversion means loud and talkative. It can be those things, but introverts can be loud and talkative and extroverts can be shy. It's really about where we get our energy from. So for those who have a preference for introversion, they prefer to get their energy from within themselves and they need a lot of refueling time, a lot of alone time to feel like their tank is full. And for people with extroversion, they primarily get fueled by interacting with or just even not necessarily interacting, but being around other people. So it could just be that you like to sit off to the side at a party or sit in a coffee shop that's busy without even necessarily talking to people and still getting sort of energized by being around it. So that is the distinction I'd make for those two. The next one would be um, this is intuition and sensing. And this is how we take in information. So those who prefer intuition, they tend to take information in at the big picture level and then work down to details. And those who prefer sensing prefer looking at the small picture details first and then stepping back and looking at the big picture. So again, we both we all do both, but in a different order depending on what our preference is. So an example I use that's kind of silly is like, you know, when you watch those um, TV shows where maybe they have psychics who help solve the case. The psychic would probably be somebody who prefers intuition. They just sort of take it all in and they have this vibe and and they, you know, they get the feeling. And the detective is the person who goes, okay, that might be true, but I need to build a case. I need to look at, you know, one, one, two, three, evidence A, B, C, and put it all together and build this case. So that would be more the sensing approach. And they might both come to the same conclusion, but they they did it, they took in that information differently. Then the third dichotomy is thinking and feeling, and this is how we make decisions. So when we have a preference for thinking, uh, we like to, th those with that preference, step outside of things to be as objective as possible. They want to look at the pros and cons, the cause and effect. They want to stay as logical and rational as they possibly can and sort of take their feelings out of it. Those who prefer feeling want to sort of step into the situation. It's more subjective. They want to be empathetic. And their biggest focus when they're making decisions is how will it affect people? Those who prefer thinking also consider how it will affect people, but it's not the biggest and most primary piece of making that 
that decision. I mean, it, it, again, these th things can all vary because we all do both. People who prefer thinking can be very emotional and, and they can be very feeling empathetic people. And people who prefer feeling to make decisions uh, can be very, very logical, rational people. It's just that these are the things that are the way that we approach things first. We might first consider these things, you know, the feeling people piece and then move to the logical reasons or vice versa. Then the last dichotomy is perceiving and judging. So perceiving, it, these things are about how we orient ourselves to the world around us or how we want the world around us to be. So perceiving it, that somebody with that preference wants to leave doors open. They like possibilities. They like taking in, you know, everything that could happen. They want to be open and explore. And when a door closes or a decision has been made, sometimes they mourn it a little bit and it's almost uncomfortable for the decision to have been made. They like to have the, the ability to pivot and change their mind. Um, people with the judging preference, they are made more comfortable by a decision being made. So I also say judging, I always want to be very clear. We tend to associate it with judgmental, which has a negative connotation. It's not that. Judging is about discernment and coming to conclusions and decisions. So somebody with that preference is probably going to come to decisions more quickly. Um, they're probably going to want the world around them to be a little more organized, a little more structured. That was so helpful. And the four letters then string together. So you are an ENFP. Yes. So and and yeah, so I'm an ENFP. So I have that preference for extroversion. Um, I have the preference for the big picture intuition piece, the feeling piece where you could show me all the pros and cons in the world. But if one person is going to be affected negatively, I can't make the rational decision, even if it is the one. Um, and then the perceiving, like, kind of going with the flow and wanting openness. Yeah, Perfect. And I think this next question is going to be a really fun one for people. Can you walk through some frictions or pain points that people might encounter in the workplace when working with other people that could potentially be explained by having different preferences along the MBTI spectrum? Yes, I'll give you a quick example for each. So the introversion, extroversion piece, um, one that I've come across for that can be Maybe there are some who prefer extroversion who want to go out to lunch a lot with the co with you know their colleagues, and maybe there are one or two colleagues who prefer introversion, and maybe they are public facing and they are talking to people all day, and their lunch hour is the only time they can just ha take a breather and just be alone for a minute, and so maybe they decline the lunch invitations, and there could then be this perception that they don't want to be involved or they don't like their colleagues or you know that sort of thing. Or maybe they go along because they feel like they have to to keep everyone happy and keep their job, but then they're maybe resenting that they didn't get their alone time, they're really exhausted, they didn't get that chance to refuel for the afternoon. So I think that one is really important. I always advise that neither party take it personally, and then once they have these words, this objective vocabulary to use, they can say things like, the extroverted person can say, hey, totally cool if you don't want to go to lunch, I know you like to refuel, but we'd love to have you there if you want to join. And the introverted person can say, no offense, I just had so many clients just now. I, I think I need to refuel, but I just, it's just the introvert in me, but I'll see you guys later. You know, have fun, whatever. Thank you for inviting me. So there's that. The intuition and sensing piece. So people who prefer intuition. Oh, and one thing to make clear that I didn't say earlier, the letter for that, because I mentioned ENFP, the letter for intuition here is N rather than I, because the I has already been used for introvert. 
So the intuition and sensing, the person with the intuition preference is going to want to know when you're doing a project for them to feel motivated. They want to know why, why are we doing this? What is the goal? (laughs) That's a knowing laugh. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell a little bit about (laughs) that? Just like awoke something within me. It just awoke a really strong like I relate to that feeling and then it also like awoke a projection of my boyfriend like laughing at me in certain situations (laughs) because I'll get into like a frustrated tizzy if I'm not buying into the reason but then I'll like make it into a bigger deal than it even needs to be absolutely right so you want to know like if you have this project well what is the angle here because to for me to know how I'm going to operate I need to know because also intuition sees possibilities so intuition sees what could be so if they don't know the why, they don't know if there might be a better way to do it or another possibility for how to reach that same goal. So it can be frustrating. And then on the other side of that, the sensing, uh, those who prefer sensing, they are more concerned with the what and the how. So they want to know what they're doing and how in the world they're, is this possible and how am I going to do it? How do you want me to do it? And for both, all those elements are important. But to move forward, the intuition uh, people with the intuition preference, they need to know why to feel motivated. Otherwise they may check out and they may be, become disengaged and not really, like you said, they don't have the buy-in to the project. And the people with sensing, if they feel like this is, uh, because again, uh, in contrast to those with intuition who see possibilities, those with sensing are very grounded in reality and what is, what is measurable, what is real, what is the present. And so if an idea seems way too out there, they're like, what are we doing and how are we doing this? You know, it can get a little frustrating. So my quick life hack to help deal with that is when there is a meeting about these things happening, it should just be written into the agenda, the discussion, the why, the what, the how. So that everyone from the very starting point can feel like, okay, I understand. I feel personally invested and I, I get the big picture. You know, I get what's going on here. The big picture and the small picture. I get what's going on, why, and how it's going to happen. That was so, so helpful because I have never thought about the missing why, what, or how as a potential reason why someone's not buying in or getting on board. And it's making so much sense as I'm reflecting on it. Right. And this is why I love this stuff, because sometimes we don't even know why we're frustrated. Yeah. But when you know this about yourself, if you know, I need to know why, or I need to know how this is actually going to happen. And you know that, then you can go, is this the missing piece of why I, I just can't get behind this? And, and then you can address that with your team or your boss. Or, yeah. And that makes so much sense, too, why two people could be frustrated by each other because they're focusing on opposite things and they're needing the other thing that's not being focused on by the other person, but they both think that they're on the important thing because it's what's important to them. Exactly. Yeah. That's one that I hadn't thought about because I usually think of sensing and intuition more in the context of how I prefer to consume information and Mm -hmm. like how it'll go in most easily. I never thought of it in terms of that. And that was just enormously helpful. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And and, and the point there too, like you said, uh, with the you know, how is this not important to you? Because it's important to me. This is the same, you know, when we talked about strengths and we were discussing, you know, this is the water I swim in. How are you not swimming in the same water? You know, we don't even realize what our filters are sometimes until we look at these things. And then what I, what my hope is when people learn this about themselves and their colleagues is that it goes from a perspective of frustration 
to one of appreciation. Yeah. Because for me, with that intuition preference, I think, thank goodness, there might be somebody else who wants to come up with the process or do the or do the focused data work that I would just rather stub my toe than do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's so good that people get joy out of different things and, and have these different strengths because we need it all to get to accomplish something. Yes. I get so jealous sometimes of SJs and STJs because Mm -hmm. they're so good at getting things done. They just do the thing. And I don't operate in that same exact way because mm-hmm. I'll like get stuck in idea land, which I'm guessing you do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I appreciate them so much because I know if I have one of them around, like that's taken care of. Yes, absolutely. My my mom is my exact opposite. My mom's an ISTJ. And I'm so grateful that I spent, I was the youngest. And so I was at her side constantly growing up. And I'm so grateful for that because I... I think it is why I love the work that I do because it was a privilege to be able to so closely see the, the, just the way of life of somebody who's my exact opposite. So it gives me, it gave me this appreciation for all of the things that are not, that don't come to me naturally. And I saw them in their element and I get to hear her thought processes and all that stuff. And, um, I think it's what, I don't know. I think it's why initially when I was young, I thought, what's wrong with me? None of this stuff comes easily to me. Look at my mom. She's just amazing. She's doing all this stuff. And then when I learned my type, it was like this breath of fresh air. Oh, there's not anything wrong with me. I'm just one of the other different 16 equally valuable, you know, types. And it made, it was, it was so, um, just validating for both of us really, and has enriched our relationship to, to acknowledge that. Yeah. So this is, I, this is why I just think it's so powerful and why once you can realize, because a lot of times we want to look for people who are similar to us in certain areas of life, it's just more comfortable. And we feel like we talk about all the same things, but really when you want to accomplish something big, you have to have those complementary things. And most people also find in relationships with a, with a partner, they, it's, it just so happens. I would love to see stats on this. I'm sure there are that very often an introvert will pair with an extrovert, a perceiver will pair with a judger and, you know, thinker with a feeler. And you see a lot of these, maybe not a hundred percent opposite, like my mom and I are, it won't always necessarily be like that, but you're definitely going to have these areas. And it's really cool to give words to what these pain points are between you, because eventually you can see it as a positive. I have an embarrassing confession to make, but this is the place to make it. Yes, please do. I've been a huge Myers-Briggs junkie for a really long time. And when I was single and dating, I just kind of had a sense of the type that I Uh wanted. Uh-huh. So with my current partner, I've been with him for a very, very long time. But mm-hmm. on I think this was like only our second or third date. I planted my Myers-Briggs book on my coffee table before he came <laughs> over. And, I, and when he got there, I was like, oh, look, this book. Here, let me ask you a few questions. And I typed him. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. I mean, I you know, I don't think that's weird because I, I we joke. So I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot. There's a very, uh, there's like a huge typology um, Myers-Briggs. Uh, community there and I saw a meme the other day about somebody joking about that kind of thing and I was like hey man that's first date material for me that was yeah. <laughs> the first thing or maybe even is it on your dating profile because then I know but but you but the thing about that is it's better to know someone first because if I um, you know, we, we tend to have these biases toward different things. My husband is a type that I never would have 
thought on paper we made any sense. So mm-hmm. it would have kept me from meeting him if I had done that up front. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's helpful information. Like you, you already know you like them, then you want to know their type. It's not going to make you break up with them necessarily, but you just want to know, okay, what are these areas? It's like a shortcut, right? Totally. To yeah. Cool. I don't know if I'd recommend this as a dating strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't either. Because like I said, I think it can, I think it can keep you from being open to different people. But hey, third date, you already know if you're feeling it. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, it was just funny. It's weird. Once I know someone's type, I can almost relate to them better no matter what type it is. Because I'm like, I don't know, I just really understand Myers-Briggs and it makes the world make so much more sense for me. So it's so helpful when I know someone's type. It's kind of like if you had 16 pairs of glasses and you know which ones they're wearing, then you can put those on when you're talking to them so you can understand the lens they're seeing through and have this compassion and empathy for it. Yeah. yeah, totally. And it's just so fascinating too to learn other people's types and like also see if you could guess it and then if you're right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of stuff Absolutely. there. Um, but uh, workplace conflict. So these are really helpful and fun, by the way. Um, let's do the second two letters and then we'll yes. do a couple more questions. So uh, thinking and feeling in the workplace. Yes. So thinking and feeling in the workplace, the simple example I use of how these can both help one another. So people with the thinking preference tend to be more direct and straightforward in their communication. And people with a feeling preference tend to maybe like beat around the bush a little more. They don't, they want to soften what they're saying. So one thing that I suggest is that if you're a feeler and you need to be writing an email and ask for something from someone that you might want to ask a thinking preference colleague to say, is this clear? Is there anything I could take out? And they can kind of give their perspective on how to be more direct with what you need, how to be more clear about your needs and that sort of thing. Um, And then likewise, if a thinking preference person has to write an email, especially if they're writing it to somebody with a feeling preference, and maybe they need something, but they don't want to come off as too harsh or anything, especially because it's hard with the written word, I say, ask a feeling preference colleague to come in, give it a quick read and see how they can, how you can reword or add, you know, some fluff here and there to kind of soften whatever it is you might be asking. But both are helpful in the workplace because we always want the people around who think, how are people going to feel about this? How are people going to take this? But we also need the people around who are able to communicate difficult things. You know, if in the workplace, it's just a reality. Sometimes people are going to have to be laid off or people are going to have to have a talking to about an area where it's really, there's a vital part of their job they're not completing and there's going to need to be that conversation. So these are things that say a feeler has to have a tough conversation, ask a thinking colleague, okay, how would you phrase this? How would you approach it? And it's just really great to get both perspectives from one another. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And even though I know about Myers-Briggs, just hearing you bring these examples to mind, I'm now thinking of things and I'm like, oh, well, that explains that. And like, that could have been, that could have felt better if it was done that way. And it's just so helpful. Um, yes. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah. So the, and now the last one, I'll do the the perceiving and judging. This one, I think in the workplace, actually, uh, from my from what I've seen, I think it causes the most tension. Mm. Because in the workplace, deadlines are so huge. And there are different perceptions of what a deadline means to those with a perceiving preference versus those with a judging preference. And this is general, because when you look at the combination of letters, the P and J might, this might all show up differently. But very generally speaking, people with a perceiving preference would tend to kind of explore all their options 
and be taking in a lot of ideas and maybe turning it over in their head, even if they haven't put pen to paper just yet, you know, and gotten the work done. But they know the deadline's coming and they're working toward it. But they're probably going to do their best work as it gets closer to the deadline when they just have to make decisions and have to close certain doors and walk through others. Whereas typically somebody with the judging preference might have been working more steadily toward something because they had made some decisions already about what they were going to do and oftentimes might even complete something before the deadline. So this can become a point of tension when, say, the project manager for that specific thing is maybe somebody with a judging preference and the person working on something that they need is somebody with a perceiving preference because they may see, oh man, it looks like I haven't seen them working on that. They've been doing other stuff all week. I wonder if it's really going to get done. And they're, the person with the judging preference might be starting to panic. Are they actually going to meet the deadline? You know, Because if it were me, I would have been maybe already doing some of this stuff. And then the person with the perceiving preference might feel like, gosh, I can feel that they're like putting on the pressure, but the deadline isn't even here yet. I'm going to turn it in, but they're making me feel like I failed already when I haven't even missed a deadline. Mm. So it can be this, you know, you know, if they're coming in and checking in on it, it can feel like a lot of undue pressure. So the solution that I've offered before, similar to building in the why, what, how into a meeting for the intuition and sensing piece, I say that when you're doing a project, what can be really helpful is, um, and some people do this already in their workplaces, but to build in check-ins along the way so that that way the person with the judging preference can have their mind eased that there is progress. They are working on it, even if just in their head for now, they really are thinking about it and planning it. Um, and the person with the perceiving preference doesn't have to feel bothered by the check-in because they knew it was coming regardless of whether the person with the judging preference trusts them or not. So it's a much better way to communicate those things and have both people feel comfortable and at ease without getting frustrated with one another. That's so helpful too. I have a moderate, not super strong J preference, but I've noticed sometimes working with someone who's a P will work on something and then I thought that we solved it and then we'll revisit it again later. And then I'll get really <laughs> flustered and it's probably because they're seeing the door is open and I'm like, we closed the door. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I will say, as a person with a perceiving preference, sometimes it is helpful to have it be made very clear, this is done, we don't need to explore it anymore, because then that cuts down on the number of things I need to explore, mm -hmm. because I will just go crazy continuing to look at options. Um, but yes, definitely, because sometimes if I'm still thinking about it after a decision has been made, I might see, oh, that could have been better and there's still time, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, but yeah, that makes so much sense coming from the other, other perspective that that could be frustrating that, wait, we were moving forward and focusing on other things, you know? Yeah. And I think you brought up such interesting ideas throughout this about how essentially our feelings could get hurt or we could feel bad because of these, because then I might feel like, oh, like if we're revisiting this again, was it not good enough the first time or did mm -hmm. I disappoint you? And so it's so helpful to understand the root cause of the difference in approach, because then you not only can prepare for it, but you also don't misinterpret it in a way that makes you feel upset for something that isn't even real. Right, right. Because we tend to perceive things through how we perceive things, right? So if a person with a judging preference said, hey, I was thinking, let's revisit this, it would probably mean you didn't think it was a great decision because you would only change the decision if you really had feelings that it wasn't the best option. Mm -hmm. But for a perceiving person to question a decision that was made, that's so natural. And it's not a judgment on what decision has been made at all. 
really. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. Is it just fun for you to revisit it? <laughs> yes. Um, it, it, sometimes it's a fear of, it's like the, the FOMO thing. Yeah. It's a fear of missing out on, on other possibly better ways to do it, but it doesn't necessarily mean better. But we, I, um, like for me, given that I have that intuition um, with the wanting to explore possibilities mm. plus the perceiving of wanting to be open, that can be frustrating. It can be exciting and have new, to have new ideas all the time. But, it, and, you know, and as I said earlier, for me, I don't have the focus and discipline. Those are lower on my Clifton strengths. So it all makes sense when you look at my personality type um, because I like to be open to all these possibilities. So it's hard to choose. So, but anyway, that sort of, for me, it's just fun to explore. It's just my natural state of being. But um, on that note, this is why perceivers and judges need each other. Because you need people to still be willing to look around even after decisions are made because we might have missed something. you know. And But you need a, a person with the judging preference to just make decisions sometimes or else nothing would move forward. And one example, there was a workplace that I was in where um, they were split half and half. Um, what their preference was on this in their team. And I said, can anybody give an example of how these are both good in, in, in life or in the workplace? And this one guy had the best example. He said, I'm a perceiver and my wife is a judger and she planned our wedding to the T. Everything was amazing. I never could have done it. The way her mind works and she plotted everything out was fantastic and it was all scheduled. And then he said, but if anything went off course or changed at the last minute, she struggled with how to cope with that. And he would jump in with his adaptable mindset and find other solutions or see other possibilities for it. And then he would kind of fix in the moment. Um, so I think in the workplace, it can work very similarly. There can be this like beautiful relationship between those two. Oh, I love that. That's like a really, really nice example. Your anecdote just reminded me of a law school class where they divided us into introverts and extroverts. Uh -huh. And it was oh so funny because the extrovert group was so loud and no one was talking <laughs> in the introvert group. Yes, yes. Whenever I do, because um, I do to help people really see what they are, because sometimes we don't know what we are. <laughs> until we see what we're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the comparing and contrasting is really helpful. So I will break people into groups it, primarily to make sure that the preference that they are thinking that they are is really what they are. And it becomes very clear. So I break them up into introvert, extrovert and intuition and sensing, whatever. So we do all these activities. The one that makes me laugh is the, um, like in the way that you were just saying, the thinking feeling. I always ask this one about, okay, you go, you're going to a party and your friend shows up and you're going to ride together and without knowing any details, we don't know if it's a fancy party, whatever. If, if you have the thought, Oh no, they're wearing that. What do you say? Like, what do you do? What do you say? And it's so amazing to me because every single time the thinking preference group goes, we have an answer. And they all just go, you need to change. That's not, that needs to be, you know, oh, that's not the, the, the dress code or whatever. Um, and, and it may be, they may have reasons behind, like, I don't want them to feel weird showing up in that. I'm going to tell them directly that they ought to choose something different. And the feeling group, they always have this look on their face, you know, like the cringe emoji. Yeah. Uh, when they think about having to tell a friend that they need to wear something different, they're like, Oh no, <laughs> like they just, what do I say? And all of them are like, maybe I'd suggest a sweater or ask if they want to borrow anything of mine or, you know, it's this really nice like tiptoeing way of going around it. But everyone 
everyone wanted to deliver the message because everyone wanted their friend to be comfortable. You know, there are all these things, but it's just the, the delivery is just so different. Oh, it just really highlights that you see the world differently and then everything results from that paradigm. Yes. And honestly, for me, sometimes I, I love being around people who have opposite preferences than I do. Because for instance, like I said, I have that feeler preference, but a lot of people in my family have the thinker preference. And in a way, it's like this um, vacation where I get to like flex my opposite preference or use my non-dominant hand kind of, and I can be more direct without worrying I'm hurting feelings because I know their feelings will not be hurt by it because they communicate directly. And so it doesn't, it, they wouldn't take it a certain way. And so it's just this kind of like free pass to try that out. Oh yeah. That's amazing. You can drop the burden of worrying about, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. Last question on Myers-Briggs. It's more of an open-ended question, but is there anything else that you think would be useful for people to know about Myers-Briggs that could help them in their career, their work life, or just life in general? Oh, yes, definitely. So there's this phrase I use all the time. I always say we're solving for X. So when um, when I was in my counseling grad program, they talked about I, one of the last classes I took before I switched programs was a couples therapy class. And the most life changing realization that was shared in that class for, for me was that when you have a couple in therapy, it's almost never a clear cut case of it's this person's fault or that person's fault. It's that they are just two people who operate differently. And the issue is not either one of them as a person. It's the dynamic that exists between them. So we need to figure out how to shift the dynamic. And a lot of times you shift the dynamic by each person individually deciding, am I committed to a certain way direction that we go with this? And am I going to make changes that will help shift the dynamic? So anyway, I started seeing everything as in life, if I'm X and every person I have a relationship with is Y1, Y2, Y3, Y4, if I can solve for X, I can understand Y so much better because I am removing all of the stuff that is so me and my perspectives and my lenses and my whatever I might be putting on it. And I can appreciate them more and I can understand where the disconnect is happening. Um, so I always say it's solving for X to understand Y. And so when you begin to do work on yourself and figure out and just, to, just the self-awareness piece, for me, the journey has looked like figuring out who I am and that validation and that embracing of who I am. And in doing so, I gained this great appreciation for others because I understood just like nobody could ever make me not a feeler. You know, nobody could make me not see things through my intuition first. Um, nobody could make me not be fueled by being around other people. And then I realized just like that, that's just, those people are just who they are. Every other person is just as much who they are as I am who I am. And there's no judgment attached to it. It's just different places that we're standing, different perspectives, different ways of going about things. And so I ended up being more compassionate toward other people. And in turn, the thing that a lot of us have trouble with, I had more self-compassion. It was like this endless cycle. So I think when you begin to learn who you are and embrace who you are and find this common language you can use that is not, it's a language that doesn't have, you know, it's not value-laden. It's not this type is better than that type or this preference is better than that preference because they're all necessary. 
Um, and so when you can do that, you kind of stop judging yourself and you stop judging others. And it's this endless cycle of more celebration and appreciation of all the differences. I love that so much. And I think that self-compassion is both something really helpful, but I think also something that can be very difficult. And I think that appreciating, well, you can do it in both directions almost. Use your own self-compassion to be more open to others or vice versa for those who are struggling and being very hard on themselves to find that for others and see if that helps you soften into yourself. Absolutely. Like my mom and I have had a lot of discussions over the years. Some of my mom's traits or her preferences are ones that are more, I would say, prized or valued within uh, certainly the American culture and in the workplace. So there's this sort of unofficial thing that different countries or cultures tend to have almost a personality type. And in America, they would probably say, you know, that the preferences that are most prized or or do quite well in our culture would be those of extroversion because, you know, being that outgoing type of person. Um, but like I said, not all extroverts are outgoing, but that, that stereotypical view of it. The sensing piece of being very, you know, measuring things, measuring progress, measuring success, what is very, very cemented in reality. The thinking piece of being very rational and objective. And then that judging piece of making decisions and being organized and structured. I mean, these things thrive in corporate environments. So if you have a personality type that has some differences from those, it can be really hard to have that compassion for yourself. Like I have the extroversion piece, but everything else about me was opposite to that. And so it was very, very affirming for me personally to learn this stuff, which is why I want to turn around and help other people feel the same, because that that self-compassion can be hard to come by when perhaps your workplace, you feel like you're a little different or in your family, you're a little different. But in reality, the way I see it now is that being in a workplace where maybe you're one of the only people of a certain personality type is actually an amazing superpower because you bring something, a perspective that nobody else is necessarily bringing in. I love that so much. And with that, I'm going to move into the closing question. And I love to ask every guest to share what the art of speaking up means to them and why it's important for them. Yeah. Um, so uh, first of all, I love the title of the show. So my sister, who's also an INTJ, uh, she was a photojournalism major in college. And she has said that her perspective on Myers-Briggs, which she also loves, is that it's sort of like there's an event happening in the center, um, you know, life basically is happening in the center. And then there are all these people around it for the sake of this, we'll say 16 different people are all standing around it and seeing a different part of what's happening. And, you know, and before you learn these things, wherever you're standing, maybe you feel like yours is the most right, or maybe you feel like yours isn't the most right, that everybody else has a better view and they, they see what's really happening. In reality, we all have a valuable perspective that when we put all of our eyewitness accounts together creates the full picture. So if we ever feel like we're afraid to speak up or share the piece that we're seeing, there's a, there's a piece missing. And everyone suffers as a result when they don't get to hear from every single other person, every other perspective. And it adds, it adds nuance and it adds value to everyone's experience when everyone starts to feel more comfortable you know, sharing their perspective and their experience and just, yeah, speaking up for themselves and for their viewpoint. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it made you smile. I hope that you recognize in it pieces of yourself. And I hope that it was enjoyable for you. If you haven't heard last week's episode, definitely also tune into that to learn more about today's guest, Caitlin. She is such an incredible person. It was so much fun for me to talk with her and connect with her. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation just as much. And I will link her information below and feel free to get in touch with me however you want. In the show notes, you'll find a link to submit a listener question to the show, to get in touch with me, to sign up for my newsletter, which is about to start going out into the world, which is so exciting. I can't wait. And I will also put some links to take the Myers-Briggs test online in case you want to figure out your type or see if it changed or just play around and have fun with it. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, uh, one other thing. There's a Facebook group for the podcast that I always forget to mention, but the group is beginning to grow and there are people in there and I'm so excited for us to connect with each other and to get to know each other. It's been really fun so far. So I will link that in the show notes as well. It's just called The Art of Speaking Up so you can find that. And a special thank you to you for listening with the show, for sticking with the show. I've been changing the schedule. The show has been evolving and I appreciate you for staying with it and for being so supportive. Thank you so, so much. And with that, I'm signing off. Next week is a break week. And then the week after that is the season finale. And it's a different kind of episode. And it's something I wrote that I'm going to read and share. And it's different. And I hope you like it. And that's all I'm going to say for now. All right, I'm going to sign off. I hope you're doing amazing and I'll catch you soon. Bye.